What up, podcast? Thanks again for tuning in. Today, I sit down with myself for the first rendition of Ask Coach Webb. That's right, guys. We have a podcast exclusive, not uploading this to any other platform, um, sort of a mailbag episode. I get a lot of DMs, um, a lot of players, parents, coaches, trainers, etc., um, asking me questions, which I, I find hilarious because I'm still figuring all this out. Um, but I say this a lot, you know, I might not know it all, but I'm very willing to share all that I know. And, you know, I think it'd be fun. I usually answer these questions directly on Twitter or Instagram stories or um, text message, where have you. But I think it'd be a lot of fun to just kind of like sit down, pick out a handful of the questions and go in depth and give a little bit more um, context to the answer. Right. And so we're going to try to do this fairly often. Um, I know it's been a while since the last episode. I'm going to continue sitting down with guests. In fact, I'll be uploading um, my sit down with Brett Bader of Bader Sports Performance, um, talking some exercise science and, you know, kind of how um, our training overlaps with our basketball workouts and his sports specific um, strength, conditioning, agility, et cetera, and just the way we approach the game and the way we approach working with athletes, et cetera. Um, so, yes, I'm going to continue uploading episodes sitting, talking with guests, you know, at picking their brain um, and and figuring out just kind of their um, unique input on the community at large and hopefully give you guys some value from some different minds and not just myself. Um, and so I, I think it's definitely cool and that's probably one of my favorite things to do is just sit down and talk to others and learn from others. And so why not continue to do that? Um, the only reason we've had a little bit of a break here is, you know, if you've been paying attention, we've been doing the podcast in a specific studio i opted to um, have a little bit more flexibility and you know get the equipment that could allow me to quote unquote like take the show on the road and so i can actually go meet my guests um, at their convenience if they're local or if i'm in the area and if they're not local i figured out how to do a video call-in episode so you know we're going to start having some college coaches that i know from around the country professional trainers, um, you know, folks from different walks of life that are not in Southwest Missouri or wherever I happen to be and, you know, start having some conversations with those folks. So definitely hit that subscribe button. If you haven't already, please share this with a friend. If you think they can get any sort of value, I'm not trying to, you know, have the biggest podcast in the world, but I definitely, um, you know, I think there's some value here and, you know, humbly ask that you help us grow the audience and grow the community at large because, you know, it might open up some doors to get some even um, more diverse walks of life on the show and some different backgrounds. And I think that would be really neat just for all of us, myself included. Um, so without further ado, episode um, one, I guess you'd call, or the first rendition of Ask Coach Webb. Um, and my intention, just so you guys know, is to actually do this live on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter um, in the future. So not every episode will just be me sitting down, entertaining myself. I intend to include you guys um, if you um, so desire. <laughs> so um, I want to get into the first question. Um, my guy, Baron Newland, 
hit me up on Instagram yesterday and simple question that I think is actually really profound and a great question. He said, what makes up a great trainer? Um, and I, you know, I think it's, first of all, you're heading in the right direction. If you're asking the question to begin with, you know, I think if you assume that you have value to give just based off of, you know, your own opinion, you know, you played somewhere or you had this experience or you learn from this coach, I think it's easy to assume that you can all of a sudden regurgitate that and give value to somebody else. But I think being a great trainer, as with anything else, it requires intention, you know, and, you know, a, a great teacher wouldn't just draw on their experience as a student to run their classroom or to build their curriculum. And so I think much the same as a trainer, you know, we have to be intentional about knowing the game in and out of course and like understanding the game in depth so you know the what or the why or the how but that's just the game that's just basketball like that's just the surface level that's the easy tip of the iceberg i think the more difficult thing is to instead ask yourself or start studying how to teach how to communicate because what i fear many miss is this is a service like there. If you love basketball, there are many other ways to stay, you know, a part of the game or in touch with the game or in the basketball community to stay involved that are not training. You know, I think, I think a lot of folks get into training with good intentions. You know, they love basketball and they want to do it on a day-to-day basis, but lose sight of the fact that you are in fact devoting or saying you're devoting yourself to serving other human beings. And so we need to make sure we're being deliberate about how we serve. You know, are we always trying to do the right thing? I think a great trainer is, you know, no matter what, remembering that doing the right thing is always the right thing, like doing the right thing by people, um, doing the right thing by those who give you facility access, doing the right thing in your community, you know, with the platform you have, you know, et cetera. And not only trying to just always do the right thing, but put people first. You know, the game is secondary. At the end of the day, the ball stops bouncing for everybody, but the influence you could have on a player, a parent, or, or somebody else that's in that circle could be profound. It could be much bigger than the game, which sounds cliche. It sounds fluffy, but, you know, not everybody is going to be an NBA All-Star or a Hall of Famer. And even for those folks, the ball stops bouncing and there's life after basketball. And so I would ask, you know, how are you deliberately serving those folks and helping with that? Because everybody says that they, you know, are teaching lessons for on and off the court. It's the most cliche thing in the world. But how? You know, and I think just as much as you study, you know, ice coverage of a pick and roll or, you know, hip swivels or anything else, study great teachers. You know, one of the best things I've done lately is not just look to folks in the industry like great coaches or great trainers. I don't just look to them to learn. I'm trying to be more intentional about learning, like reading books about teaching in a classroom or learning about communication skills in other industries. 
Um, I think a lot of that could really overlap with being a great trainer and really help us, you know, but if I was to sum all of that up, all that rambling and, and, uh, jargon, um, if I was to just like really put a bow on it, I would say you have to remember that you're serving people. If you do that, then you're always going to approach every single workout with a servant leadership mind or attitude. And you're always going to be thinking in their shoes and trying to reverse engineer how you can help them. You know, don't be selfish and just be like, man, I love basketball. I want to be in the gym every day. Like other people are trusting you and we can't take that for granted. You know, I I see it far too often. And, um, you know, I just wish more folks would really appreciate the fact that another human being trusted you with something they love whether that's the player who loves basketball or the parent who loves their kid, they trusted you with something they love. And, you know, it's up to us to really not take that for granted and to make sure that we put that person first and really truly do whatever it is that we need to, to serve that unique individual. And so to me, that's what makes a great trainer. If you're trying to figure that out, then you're probably studying the right things and doing the right stuff when it comes to determining what skills to teach them and how to teach them those skills. Like the basketball is so freaking easy whenever you figure out how to put that person first, because then everything you do is going to have a value driven mindset. Um, Moving it on, you know, and again, I love that question. I don't, I don't want my, I don't want my passion to sound like I'm being negative by any means. Um, Kevin, um, and man, I'm going to butcher this, uh, Kasson Gad K 45. Um, Kevin, for short, (laughs) on Instagram. He asked me how to be a player that can do all things like LeBron, KD, and Kawhi. Uh, First of all, you know, great aspirations. LeBron, KD, Kawhi, best in the game. And, yeah, I think the thing that I've, like, learned the most, um, getting to be around Drew Hanlon's workouts with NBA players or Alex Bazell training his clients or Luke Cooper, You know, what I've seen and learned from Kobe and some of the best in the game, whether it be video or literally in the gym watching these folks, you know, the best players in the world master the simple, you know. And I I think if you want to be a great all-around player like any of those dudes that you just mentioned, KD, Kawhi, LeBron, each one of those guys like deliberately focuses like, and and now I'll just talk about NBA players at large deliberately focuses on you know being great at two to three things and then when they're great at those two to three things they add to it you know and I I think you know we get caught up in trying to bite off more than we can chew you know and human beings you know we're, we're better off just focusing on two or three things and hammering them really really well like triple down on those things and then add to it and you know along those lines tripling down on your strengths you know, we all want to be, you know, even when I played, like I want to be an all-around player. I think being an all-around player is admirable. And um, a lot of players want to do that for good reason. You know, we want to impact all facets of the game. To me, each one of those guys, you know, they did what they were great at, you know, and then they tried to do it even better. Before you look at, I mean, like it's only the last few years that LeBron's been um, more efficient shooting from three, you know. 
And you know, like he had seasons beforehand where he could shoot from three, but you know, the last few years it's been much better. And he was still productive before that. You know, and I, I think you look at Kawhi, he didn't start trying to um, you know, make all these plays off the dribble or go ISO as often. Um, early in his career, he stuck with what he was good at. He got on the floor by being the best defender and by, you know, making an impact away from the ball and always being in the right spot and, um, you know, being very efficient as a role player. You know, KD, um, much the same, knows his spots on the floor, knows, you know, what he's great at and really triples down on doing it. You know, so I think first and foremost, if you want to be a great all-around player, tremendous. Um, great all-around players handle pressure. They can defend at their position. They can shoot the ball well. Um, they can move well without the ball. They can finish, um, especially through contact. And they are great decision makers. You know, like good all-around players. It's easy to list off all the skills we need to do. The question I think that's harder to answer is how do we tackle it? I think you focus on two to three things. Um, you make sure everything you do in the gym is those two to three things. Like have the discipline to really hammer them and not get distracted and make sure you're great at the simple. You know, if you if you can hammer that, then like look at your role. You probably have that role for a reason. Triple down on what gave you that role and be great in that role. Um, you know, the only players, in my opinion, I mean, obviously, like, talent is one thing, of course. Like, talent is necessary. But we start talking about the other things we can control. It takes time. You want to be a great all-around player, you have to be disciplined for an absurd amount of time. Um, and I want to take a moment. You know, I'm looking at some of these other inputs and some of these other questions that were sent in to me. There was a lot of you guys that just said, like, told me to keep being great or um, – you know, wishing my family and I well. And I really appreciate that. You know, you guys don't have to go out of your way to do that. And it means a lot. Um, so you guys know who you are. If you guys are um, taking the time out of your day to put some positive into my life, you know, that means the world. Um, moving it on, I got a question from my guy, Brandon, um, with Pure Sweat. Um, Brandon, dude, I is it Hayan? Hi, Ann, bro. I always get confused with your last name. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's all love though, Brandon. So Brandon uh, wanted me to talk about some different two on two or three on three games for youth instead of five on five. Um, I think this is a great moment in time to mention that I, I firmly believe that three on three is the best for youth development. And then I think two on two is right up there with it, right? I would take three on three just because it, it adds a little bit extra dynamic. If you really look at the game, um, and really study the actions that take place with or without the ball, you know, a lot of it can be broken into three-man actions. Um, so to me, like, I think youth should be primarily playing out of three-on-three, -three. whether it's three-on-three -three leagues, three-on-three -three in practice, three-on-three -three in workouts. Yeah, I think we have – it's great that we have so many people that are plugged into basketball and that love this game. Um, yeah, I'm definitely grateful for that because obviously I love this game. And so it's cool to see that. But at the same time, you know, five on five tournaments are a dime a dozen. And I think three on three is so much more productive and so much more um, conducive to these kids getting an opportunity to develop. And so to me, 
that's probably part of the reason Brandon's asking this question is he, I think, you know, he's a great trainer. He's a great coach. He knows that, you know, three on three, the offense has more space to operate and they can run many of the same actions that are ran in five on five DHO ball screen, pin downs from various angles, um, dribble drive action, pass and cut action, like you name it. And so the offense has a chance to like develop and, and actually have opportunity um, and it's a little bit easier for them to recognize these patterns, whereas the defense is challenged to, if I'm guarding the ball, you know, my teammates, we all have to defend more space. And so like that gap defender that might pinch the gap with me is much further away. I have to do a better job guarding the ball. Or if I'm away from the ball, I can't relax. Like I am going to be needed immediately. Like every single rotation matters because there's only three of us and we have to defend the whole half court. Um, and so, you know, I just love that Brandon's even asking this question. So that's kind of why I went on that tangent. Um, for me, the best two on two or three on three games mirror game actions. You know, I try not to get too fancy with it. I mean, it's cool to like, you know, I'm big on small sided games and um, finding creative ways to work on those things. But sometimes I think, you know, we can overcomplicate it. You know, I think basketball playing the game of basketball is the best teacher, especially if we're willing to interject and teach on the fly and, and like teach in the moment. So I don't think stopping if, if it's a workout setting or a practice setting, I don't think stopping the play or, you know, having a lot of interjections is a bad thing. I think that makes sense as long as we keep our interjections short, which, you know, that's been a thing I've been working on for years now is like trying to shave time on, my teaching points during a workout. But if you keep those teaching points short, I think just teach out a game action. So like, you know, if I was doing a two on two, you know, are we working on DHOs? That's fine. You know, let's, let's pick the coverage we're working on defense might be working on a drop coverage and fighting over the top offense now has the opportunity to work on, you know, has he work in the pocket or reading whether or not, you know, they're hitting the short roll um, or if they're attacking the drop defender um, if they are attacking the drop defender, maybe the um, defense needs to do a veer back and switch. Um, and so if I was fighting over the top of the DHO, I might be veering back into the guy that handed it off and now I'm switched on to him. That's just one example, right? And so like two on two or three on three, we could pick a game action, pick pin downs, decide what the defensive coverage is. After you've worked on some coverages, let them just play and really hammer the decision-making and the skills within that you know I, I think obviously you would want to work up to it you know we we do a lot of two-on-one shooting where the offense has an opportunity to do a move or go into a pull-up and if the defense takes it away now there's a contested pass to the um, teammate that's relocating and then that's a contested shot you know we we do one-on-one stuff you know I, and I obviously that's not groundbreaking stuff you know progression's good but as much as I love small sided games um, that are creative and set up set up moments that we are intentionally looking for, we should just teach out of the game as often as possible. Teach out of an action, decide what the defense is doing, decide what you want to teach the most to the offense. Like so we're not chasing rabbits. Like we want we want to make sure just like players, we have two or three things we're really hammering and then hammer those things. Um, and for what it's worth, my website is I'm 
I'm super excited. This is a podcast exclusive. So if somebody's listening to the podcast right now, um, I'm recording this on Saturday, December 14th. My intention is to upload it on the 15th. I'm going to have quick turnaround times on these audio only podcasts. Um, my website is about to get loaded. Um, I've been studying thousands of NBA possessions per week, building a film library and um, curating and um, organizing all that library into folders. And I'm about to upload a ton of content that are voiceover film edits, specifically describing some of these concepts I'm talking about, some of these moves. And my newsletter, if you're on my email list, is going to start getting drill books and um, some of these small-sided games, some of these creative ones I'm referencing. You know, those will be sent to folks on my email list. So um, my my challenge going in to 2020 is um, I want to make sure that there's no paywall to my education. The only paywall for me is ever going to be to get me in the gym. You know, if you want to train with me or have me come to a clinic or whatever. But as far as learning um, some of the stuff I do and just like seeing the content on my website, that's all going to be free. And so Brandon, that's my answer. Two on two or three on three games for youth instead of five on five. It needs to just literally be the game, like pick actions, spots on the floor. You can always limit space. Um, and then as far as creative small sided games, check my website, join my email list. I'm going to share all of that for free. So that is a sh- shameless plug because I'm not charging you guys anything for it. <laughs> so um, my guy, Matty Ying, asking best moves for handling pressure in games. Okay. Um, first of all, like instead of moves, uh, I want to talk concepts. I think um, handling pressure with an open stance is probably one of the things that I try to get players comfortable with um, out the gate. You know, whenever we start handling pressure and having a defender like up in our space, a lot of players want to close off their stance and it kind of limits their opportunities. And so if we can play open, like just to the defender, even when they're in our space, um, to do that requires us to be able to dribble outside our frame and handle the ball, um, outside our hip. And so that's a lot of what we work on is kind of being able to handle pressure and do that. And usually we're, we're, uh, focusing on having like our opposite foot drop back. So if I was handling the ball with my left hand and facing up my defender, even when he's in my space, I would have my right foot back and I would have an active right hand. And so when you start looking to attack them, you know, we work a ton on swipes. You know, usually a defender is going to look to hand check or have that hand there. And if you are able to keep your hand in your space, not hook or or reach out and end up doing an offensive foul, but you keep your hand in your space, if you're able to successfully swipe them, you can open up their frame and really get into them. And I think one of the um, best ways to create space is to um, attack it. Right. And so basically, like if you want to create space, first of all, you have to create contact and then attack. Um, and so like at that point, you're looking at defenders getting called for blocking fouls or hand checks if they continue to wrestle with you. Um, but, you know, that's easier said than done. A lot of players aren't comfortable playing open like that yet. They need to work on it. 
Um, but you know, that's probably why hip swivels, I referenced them earlier, are one of my favorite ways to handle pressure on the perimeter. Most players start closed off, and if you punch the ball and quickly swivel, you can open up your stance and be in attack mode and have a split second reaction to read what the defense gives you. Um, hip swivels will be one of those things that I have on my website. So again, shameless plug. I didn't really go into this recording planning on uh, dropping so many plugs, but I also didn't go into this recording with any plans at all. I'm literally just pulling up these questions on my phone, so bear with me. Um, but yeah, I, I would say hip swivels. I mean, you can look up hip swivels like the moment I upload this podcast and you'll find examples. Um, but I will definitely have a edit for those uploaded on the website. So checking, um, oh yeah, this is a, a DM I got from Wakefield Workouts. Shout out Wakefield Workouts. Um, you know, first of all, I think it's really cool when coaches are willing to reach out to other coaches and try to, you know, get some sort of um, nugget of information or, you know, they have the, they have the humility to at least see um, from somebody else's perspective or maybe get somebody else's feedback. And I, I think that's awesome. So shout out to Wakefield Workouts for that. Um, he was asking me, hey, coach, hope all is well. I am recently coaching a freshman team at the high school level. I'm having trouble with knowing where to start and what to teach with kids who are in the beginning phases. What are your thoughts? Um, I think this is something we've all struggled with. Um, you know, I still have my moments where – when you have kids in workouts that have different differing skill levels, it can be a challenge. Um, and the kid that's kind of in those beginning phases, we have so much we want to give them. Um, I think one of the true indictments of a coach is if we try to give them all of it. You know, I, I think it's up to us to be the filter. You know, we and this could be for set actions that you know we see a lot of plays in the off season on Twitter. Um, we can't run every play. Or this could be for skill development, you know, like we understand a lot of things that we could teach these kids, but I think it would be irresponsible to try to teach them all of it. And so whenever I was talking to him via DM, you know, I kind of, I kind of reference like, obviously we don't want to overdo it. You know, there's a ton to teach them. Um, we got to really consider what's most important, right? And taking into consideration he knows his kids far better than I do, right? Like I'm doing this off a DM. You know, I don't have the context, so of course take it with a grain of salt. But my thought on this is I would prioritize how to play. Again, I would prioritize how to play before anything else. Like to me, any of the skills or moves that we teach or concepts, they are problem-solving skills within understanding how to play. Um, and that's how I approach every workout I do with anybody, any level. I want them to understand the how to play first. And then, you know, the skill or the concept we're working on, you know, we're not, I'm not teaching dance. Like this doesn't have to be a choreographed, perfect sequence of moves. Like the game is always messy and always changing. The most skilled players are able to, you know, work within that. And so, I'm not really worried about all the little micro adjustments that I used to be worried about. Like I used to think I was super detail oriented because I cared about all those little movements and, you know, changing the angle of your ankle here and stepping here instead of here. And I still talk about some of that stuff, but I always want players to understand that at the end of the day, if they can go from point A to point B and beat their defender, well then the skill was a success. 
And if it wasn't exactly the way I told them to do it, so be it. And so whenever you're working, especially with a team, and you have so many that are in a beginning phase, prioritizing teaching them how to play. And so that is why I'm so big on small-sided games. Because small-sided games afford us the opportunity to spread out, use as many baskets as possible, so the kids are getting a lot of contextual reps within game situations, right? And so you can tweak your small-sided games to be more about catching and shooting on a driving kick or, you know, finishing through contact or making the decision to drop it off um, to the post that's in the dunker spot, like so be, you know, whatever. Um, but small sided games give them opportunities to, to learn how to play. And then the rest of it, you know, we can teach within that. And I think, you know, if I was really hammering like, okay, cool coach, small sided games, there's a billion of them. What do I do now? My suggestion would be this. I would try as much as possible to get contested passing into game shots. I think a lot of teams struggle with um, being able to make good passes under duress and therefore their shooting percentages drop. The other benefit of working on contested passing into game shots is you can get more shots in practice. I don't think teams shoot enough. That's one way to fix it. Another thing, contested finishing. If we could do a better job of finishing in the paint and handling that pressure, obviously your team's going to be better. It, it's crazy to me how many teams just leave points on the board in the paint. And then the last one would be handling pressure, which I kind of talked about with Maddie Ying's question. Um, but if you, if you could just work on handling pressure um, on the perimeter and not being turnover prone to get to your contested passes or to your finishes, it doesn't have to be crazy. Like, keep it simple. But if you can take care of it, I think, I think that's a great way um, to set your team up for success. So the beauty of all those small-sided games is each one of those, like, competitions – can also work on defensive principles, defensive rotations, um, et cetera. You know, and so I would just aim, if I was a coach in that situation, really any situation, I would aim for doing as much contested small-sided work as possible. Thank you again for listening to the first rendition of the Ask Coach Web segment on the Web Basketball Show. Um, guys, if you have any questions, send them in. I want to do this on a regular basis. I'll try to keep them a little shorter next time, but hope you guys got some value. Hit me up if you need some clarification on any of those answers or any of, um, like sources or examples would definitely be glad to share that with anybody. And of course, join my email newsletter on my website, webbasketball.com. That's W E B B basketball.com easy to find it on there just sign up it's free i'm not going to spam your inbox i'm not trying to be cheesy with it you guys are literally just going to get the the first notifications as far as when i post these new film breakdowns to my website these voiceover film studies and of course i'm going to send out some drill books and some other content from the blog etc you guys will be the first ones to get it and you'll be the first ones to know whenever I have an event. So if I have another three-on-three league or a clinic or camp or academy update, you guys will be the first to know. Um, so again, that's web, W-E-B-B, basketball.com. Check it out. Would definitely love for you guys to join the newsletter and get some of that free content. 
Thanks again for sticking around. I'm Coach Dakota Webb, and I am out.